Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sex Sales Podcast, a podcast where a problematic, toxic, horrible, mean comedian talks to a relationship therapist about dating and relationships in the modern age. This podcast is sponsored by Crush Organic CBD Oil. That's Crush with a K. They have a huge range of CBD oil products. They've got pain creams, they've got gummies, they've got CBD oil for your pets. Uh, everyone's using it. CBD oil, it's all the craze. So if you want to be cool, if you want to be part of the cool kids group, get some CBD oil, go to crushorganics.com, use the code NEIL for 40% off. I use the, the platinum oil. There's also the diamond oil. They've got the everyday oil. Uh, if you haven't done it before, just start off with two to three drops, but that's crushorganics.com, use the code NEIL. I have a show in Melbourne uh, next Sunday, by the, by the time this podcast goes out, December 5th. So come see me in Melbourne. It's already selling pretty well. It might even be sold out. So wow. get your tickets nice and quick. Um, I do weekly shows in Sydney as well. And I think that's all I need to say up the top. Eliza, how are you? I'm doing very well. And you're right. Literally everyone is using C- Everyone I know all of a sudden is using – my whole family uses CBD oil as well. It's, there you go. It's people swear by it. Um, this isn't even a lot of my part friends of the, use it uh, for sponsorship. This is just true. <laughs> yeah, just genuinely. A lot of people I know use it for um, anxiety and just say it's it's amazing for that um, and pain. So, so all the signs are there, really. Yeah, it's uh, it it just has a very calming effect. Um, the one thing is uh, don't use it before you go to the gym because uh, it calms you too much. You want to be a bit you want to be a bit angry and toxic before you get to the gym if you're lifting True. weights like me. But then use it afterwards to help ease the muscle soreness. But Unwind. Uh, there you go. They should pay us extra for that uh, extra little spruik there. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is totally unrelated to literally everything we're doing today. But yeah, very interesting. You know how um, HSC has just finished in Australia like this month Mm -hmm. um, for our year 12 students. So I saw an article that said in like private schools, one third to one quarter. So at least one in four, but usually one in three students got provisions, which means they applied for additional support or points based on circumstances in their life like someone passing away mental Mm. health like anxiety things like that but however in western sydney the example provided was the punch bowl high school Mm. Uh, but from places in western sydney places that were lower socioeconomic status um, and other public schools had zero provisions in their hsc this thought that was so interesting like if there was one school that would need it more you think it would be punch bowl Mm. compared to, you know, Monty or Loretta or whatever. And yet one third of these people that have a private school education that costs 15 plus thousand dollars a year are getting additional points added onto their HSC. It's a very interesting, not to discredit, you know, personal circumstances and their own mental health. It's more about do they have more information and access to support that these other communities don't or also how much does privilege come into that. But very interesting. Did you hear about that? No, I didn't, but it's not surprising. <laughs> I makes, don't know why It I makes was perfect so sense to me. It makes yeah, perfect sense sad. that people out west yeah. would be like, no, I'm fine. Everything going on in my life, that's just normal. I don't have the right to claim these extra points. I also may feel unworthy of getting these extra points mm. because I've had to work extremely hard and people around me have had to work extremely hard for the score that they've Uh, achieved whereas people in private schools will do what they can through whatever unscrupulous means uh, necessary to Mm -hmm. get ahead now I know that's a stereotype obviously I'm not saying everyone does that but it's not surprising to me at all and they probably lack um, resilience compared to the public school kids just putting that out there Mm. Um, may not actually be true but of course, if you uh, grow up with no financial stress and no other external stresses, then you may actually have less resilience when that stress hits you in your HSC year. But uh, mm. I guess being from a uh, public school, I'm a, I'm a bit biased there. 
And I think yeah. uh, too too many people also have a victim mentality yeah. in that regard. They're like, oh, bloody private school kids get everything and, you know, I had to work really hard. Eh, not necessarily. You can still get a very good education. Luckily, in Australia, we still have a pretty good public education system. And in New South Wales, I know in... In Victoria, it's uh, not as uh, significant, but there's the selective school system, which was really helpful mm. to me. I claimed illness misadventure for one exam because I was very sick for it. I was, mm. uh, I had a really bad bacterial infection, so I did go and claim illness misadventure for that yeah. one. And the way that worked back when I was just 10 years ago is that... Um, if you didn't perform to to the standard you did uh, in your school exams in the actual HSE, they just automatically gave you an average of your school exam marks or based on, on, yeah. on your rank. Or It was a very complicated system. I remember yeah, right. uh, yeah. learning about the intricacies of it post-year 12, and it makes a lot of sense. I just can't articulate it right now. And... Guess which subject that was for? It was for drama. It was my worst mark oh, by far. No. Yeah, drama oh. actually. I got a really good ATAR, but drama prevented me from getting in the high 99s. Really? <laughs> yeah, Are I you know. Serious? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Because I went against the uh, advice of my uh, Indian parents and and did drama <laughs> for year 11 and 12 because it was wow. it was my passion. But it actually did really screw up my HSC, my my ATAR, even though I didn't. I didn't want to do anything mm. that needed a um, ATAR of 99, but uh, all all the other uh, yeah. ranks within my school and then the the preceding marks in the HSC uh, corresponded to an ATAR 99 plus, and then wow. drama brought it down to. I still got 97, but wow. uh, yeah, it was That's uh, wild. Uh, <laughs> ironically enough, the thing that I then pursued full well, sort of comedy. Yeah drama not not exactly the same the but arts, similar yeah. yeah the arts is what uh yeah limited me How and prevented me from uh <laughs> being one of those those uh top achievers that gets their that's name in the sydney morning wild. herald or whatever it may be so congratulations though that's yeah. such a huge achievement congratulations 10 years later but still a huge achievement you ride that wave out yeah um i'm curious what your thoughts are on this then as someone that did obviously you applied yourself a lot to the to studying and mm-hmm. doing well, um, slash your natural just intelligence. But my friend is a teacher and mm-hmm. he said that recently, I don't know, high school students fact check me on this, but recently they've rolled, rolled out in um, education in New South Wales that you can't now fail a, um, a student because they didn't submit an assignment. So they get points decreased and every day or whatever, but or even if they'd never submit one at all or it's literally horrendous, they still get recognition for putting a title, a name and some words. And I, working in like, you know, therapeutic child upbringing, I was like, that's fantastic. Like, it's really great for children's psychology to do this and recognition. And he was like, are you fucking joking? It's the shittest thing the school, the education system has ever done. People get away with everything. It's all the same kids that like a total like assholes and blah 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 but what are your thoughts on that i mean i'm sure you can guess what my thoughts are on that i don't like (laughs) the opposite of mine i'd need to read into it i don't i don't know exactly what the details are but that sounds yeah uh sounds like they're pandering to a um minority of students who might be the most vocal look it's true that there's a lot of pressure on kids and and Mm. maybe there's too much emphasis placed on academic achievement and I can certainly attest to that coming from a South Asian upbringing uh although my parents were quite well smaller liberal in that regard but Mm. that doesn't sound like a good solution to me that just sounds like it enables kids like your teacher friend says to get away with a lot more and and be lazy Mm. and it sounds like you know, in, in the welfare for kids, but not a good kind of welfare. Yeah, it's to clarify, these aren't these kids never asked for like they never advocated for that, being like, I deserve points. It's something that I guess the government rolled out, the education system, but I'm all for it because all the kids I work with, every single I overlook a hundred children 
And every single one of them in school are those kids that don't do well or, well, most of them, like struggle, um, have ADHD, ODD, ASD, you know, mm. PTSD, OCD, all these things that make them um, defiant or struggle with learning. And it's you can't just go to every school and be like, here's their history and, you know, their trauma background, which explains why some of these behaviors come up in a very stimulating environment. Like, I, I truly believe that no child is really just a little shit, like that much of a terror for no reason. There are reasons for it. And the times where I've had to go to schools and train them and be like, this is what this kid has gone through. They all end up t- in tears, these teachers, they all feel bad. And then their child's school life changes completely once they have that support and that encouragement. And isn't it better for society as a whole to say like, look, you know, you tried really hard. You've done well. Like you've, you've made an attempt next time we'll work towards this, blah, blah, blah. And let them have a second attempt rather than being like you failed. And then they're like, well, fuck this. I'm not doing anymore and drop out of school. Like what's better for society. I Um, think you have to weigh up where people can lose self-esteem uh, against uh, degrading a standard that would be of benefit to other students who worked really hard. I mean, that sounds very unfair then to the student who worked extremely hard to get their assignment in on time and maybe also Mm. is dealing with a lot of stress and and trauma in their life, but in spite of that is still able to uh, do the tasks appropriately and and that sounds very unfair to them. So um, Mm. I can understand the emotional uh, appeal there and I don't think it's a simple issue. But my initial response to, to just hearing a, a summation of, of that new initiative is uh, I, I probably wouldn't be in favour of it. But again, I'd have, to, I'd have to hear about all the details and I'd have to try and yeah. unpack it and, and, and see. Yeah. And in, in two years, if um, the trends show that overall numeracy and literacy rates and increase and there's more engagement. Yeah, negative health, uh, mm. negative mental health outcomes decrease. Then I'll eat my words. But I, I, yeah. for whatever reason, I uh, don't think that would be the case. Um, to clarify, though, one last clarification: sure. it's not like these children are getting a, an A, B, or C. It's the equivalent of instead of getting an instant fail, you you get a D. So these kids will all have a D average still, likely. But it means that at the end of the year, like sometimes if you fail every class, they say you either have to repeat or you leave. So this way they can, you know, continue with their education at, you know, even though it's not going to be at the greatest level that they would have hoped or that school would have hoped. But, and they're not in comparison to other children, they're not getting marked the same way. It's just instead of failing, you get the smallest amount of credit that you can possibly get. Sure. But then the D just becomes like an F, right? I mean, if everyone is getting that D... Yeah, basically but you can get just replaces D- the fail. Yeah, but you can't. The school can't ask you to leave if you have D's. And ah, university sure. and post education study and TAFE things like that. It looks. It will allow you to go into study after high school more easily than having failed half the subjects. Yeah, I mean, I can I can mm. see that argument again. I think you need to weigh it up because if you decrease the standard for entering university. And other, mm. uh, if you just decrease the standard of education in general, That's then a good point. Yeah. Well, what's the point then? Because then it's not yeah. the same, it doesn't have the same significance and value that it otherwise would have. And I think a lot mm. of education initiatives are very well-meaning. So we want to get as many people into university as possible. We want to get as many people finishing year 12. But then what happens is, well, the, the value of a, a tertiary degree uh, decreases because anyone and everyone can get a tertiary qualification. I mean, it's already happening. You know, Mm. a degree to me nowadays doesn't tell me a lot about the intelligence or even the conscientiousness of a person because now 50% of people go on to higher learning, whereas Mm. uh, not that long ago it was a much smaller percentage and as a result there was something a bit more significant about having that degree and that's also very unfair to then people who work really hard and, and go through university and then actually mm-hmm. can't get a job because there's just a, a there's an market. oversupply yeah. of people who have degrees that don't tell the employer anything about the efficacy of this person's uh, mm-hmm. work ethic. So they're, they're, these are just Good a lot point. more complicated. And then mm-hmm. on paper, you can see, wow, we've, we've increased the um, 
the completion of year 12 rate from whatever it may be, 30% to, to 70% now, isn't that great? Well, no, if the standard of completing year 12 has dropped, then you haven't actually increased the overall education of the society. You've just increased the amount of people who on paper have completed a certain level of educational attainment when they're not actually any smarter than someone who may have dropped out in year nine in the 70s. Um, so I, it comes from a good place. And again, I'd have to look at some of the, the consequences of these policies, but uh, intuitively, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of it. But again, we'll see not, in yeah. like five years time, I think, when, when these kids are starting to graduate and, and making it through year 12 and then thought, well, you know, I would have left in year eight or year nine, or now it's not even legal. You have to leave at 16. I would have left at 16, but now I'm more mature. What can I do with my life? And I mm. finished this. Like how much does esteem have to play in someone's success? So it's very interesting. Anyway. Yeah, it is very. I mean, we see. could keep talking about yeah. that because like, what if they're giving kids a false sense of self-esteem? Because if you give everyone well, a certain level of self-esteem, then you're not – because comparatively then you're not actually – I see what you mean, but there's a lot of, like, research that shows that any self-esteem can really – like, we we get taught that for children that are um, – or, or young people that are highly challenging and, and problematic, mm. there's a lot of research, like, initially, when I started in this industry I work in, like, six, seven – eight years ago, the the kind of outlook that we took was, you know, put bound, really strong boundaries in place, really strong consequences. If you don't do this, then I remove your PlayStation. If mm. you don't do this, then I do that. Um, and we found that with the kids that were, um, especially children that were removed from home where we were working with them 24-7, that there was zero to almost no progress in that child's behavior up until they aged out of the system. Now, recently, like six, seven years later, the approach has changed massively where it's like we think even if a child trashes this room, I'm not talking like even, yeah, even teenagers, if they trash this room, we, it's called planned ignoring. You don't provide that attention that they're wanting. You don't provide any kind of acknowledgement of it, but you just say, let's, let's clean this up now, mate. And then say, thank you for cleaning up. And then you thank them for really, really small things that they do. Like, oh, thanks for bringing me this glass of water. I really appreciate it. Or thanks for doing the chores that you should have already been doing. But you know, that's really nice of you. And anyway, they showed, studies have shown, because it started in America, actually rolled this out um, way before Australia has. And the studies show that the children's behavior increases, uh, decreases, as in they become more compliant, more successful, higher self-esteem, everything, in a period of two years. And it's like 80% effective compared to 0% effective of the other way. So I think that having, by doing this kind of like babying, like condescending, wow, great job, isn't necessarily going to set a child up to... to um, fail when they become an adult because those child that child is still developing so their brain is still developing and we need to think about the way that other people's external language and affect can influence these young people and then once their brain is developed you know and they're they're reaching their 20s and things like that they they you know they learn through social and and interactions etc that that's not how the world really is they're aware of that but at least it's kind of formed a, an internal dialogue of their own it's almost like mm. kids that have a highly problematic and I put that in quotation marks, especially traumatized, can't regulate themselves. So they can't calm themselves down and they rely on someone that they trust, an adult, to calm them down for them. So instead of having their own internal dialogue, me as a carer, parent or like social worker or therapist, provide them that internal dialogue. So that's why I think it can be really helpful long term. But I also acknowledge that, that it's, it's for the education thing, it is very disheartening for kids that slave away ruin you know they have no social life because they're studying so hard they have so much pressure from their parents or family to succeed and they have their own reasons or oh, kids that go through you know like you know they don't even have parents and they're staying in Australia or something like that just to get this education and then there, here's Derek in the class chewing gum at the back and bullying people and gets through to year 12 and graduates I can see the frustration on both sides of that and it's like but what is what consequence is greater is the consequence for the high education 
you know, highly educated young person hire where they're frustrated or as a consequence hire to have Derek no, not, you know, fulfill his education, uh, education, tune out at 14 and go and, you know, smoke cigarettes and join a gang in Hornsby, which I've seen happen many times. So mm. it's, uh, it's both sides. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a, that's a really uh, interesting point that you make there. Uh, mm. I wonder if there's a way to still uh, instill that level of self-esteem into troubled youths while not degrading the education system. That yeah. would just be the main point of the difference there. I don't, I don't see any issue with uh, not being a disciplinarian when it comes to treating kids who have grown up in harsh socioeconomic or psychological mm. circumstances whilst also saying, hey, you didn't get this assignment in on time. There are consequences to that because the world, when you're an adult, is not going to treat you that way. If you don't get your work in on time, if you don't do the job, you're not going to get a pass mm. mark. So, uh, mm. yeah, it, it is a fine line. I agree and, and I would take a pragmatic approach in the sense that if, if like what you said, you can show me studies in, in a couple of years that overall to society this sort of a policy um, is a net good, well, then I'll, I'll change mm. my mind. I'm, I, I, I suppose I'll just have an intuitive response to something like that. And, uh, mm. you, you know, you, you see that sort of mentality in, in the arts and in, in many uh, institutions now where uh, meritocracy or, you know, and, and there is a complex uh, conversation to be had about something like meritocracy. Can a standardised test that goes for two hours truly give you a full picture of what mm. this person is capable of? That's a very real question to ask. But when you factor in all these external uh, points of difference and f foundational uh, identity-based uh, concepts that can actually change someone's mark in a standardised test or give them a different position uh, when, uh, you know, the inevitable jostling for university places occurs. How much does that then, you know, like I said, degrade just the educational standard but also hurt people who have worked really hard and maybe have also come from mm. hard circumstances? So, yeah, it is, it is a very... Uh, um, it's complex, but I think I, I guess I lean of... right on that issue or whatever <laughs> you want to call it, if there's a title yeah. to that. It reminds me of that the conversation we had once about um, like jail and is jail effective to go straight into jail or is it better to go the complete other way and just let them reintegrate into society? I think we came to the conclusion that the best like way would be to go into jail to like you have to serve your time and mm. face the consequence but whilst you're in there we can do a b and c to provide opportunities for you when you leave like it would almost be better in this education circumstance to say yes you've failed here's your f but here's a chance for you to redeem yourself if in the next two weeks we can do this together you you agree to a tutoring or this and that maybe i can move this up but sure. then then it comes to this other people saying, well, I want to see and I want to get to B, so maybe that's why. But very interesting. I saw um, a video about a, a jail in, um, I think it was in Denmark, and it's a correct, an open correctional facility where they get cars, they get, they've got shops, they've got jobs, everything. Where they, it's basically just a community that's a little bit isolated. So there's no, like, security in it. And then... In the comments, people were so torn. Some people were like, this is fantastic. This is amazing. Like, they're being treated like people. They get an opportunity to work, um, provide. You know, that's what we need. That's really important for esteem. You know, masculinity, things like that, working working out. Um, but the other people were like, well, okay, so this, this person just murdered someone. Now he gets a car. He gets to go to the shops. He gets to hang out with his mates outside whenever he wants and have, like, they live in, like, um, it looks like kind of like, like think of like a caravan park with their little studios. So mm. um, interesting debate between the two sides. Yeah, and, and again, I'd take mm. a, a pragmatic and not just common sense. I'm reading about um, pragmatism as a philosophy. I mean, if, if you could show mm. me it works, I'll, I'll accept yeah. it. Uh, but I immediately think about a, a victim of this uh, criminal and how yeah, would they feel that's knowing what I that thought. someone yeah. who has assaulted them is 
getting a car and living in a great community that may even be better than where they were before. Yeah, so, li- yeah. Uh, you have to weigh up uh, the need for justice and for a sense of fairness uh, from the perspective of a victim versus a consequential net good for society. And if you are healing a person and preventing them from then um, committing other criminal acts, there is an argument to be made. Maybe um, maybe mm-hmm. treating them in a much more positive manner is better overall for society. You just then have to weigh that up with the individual's quest for justice and mm. it's not it's these aren't these aren't yeah. easy questions um but yeah. this is a great discussion can we just do this for the podcast because we were going to talk yeah, about <laughs> something else well, this is really good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it reminds me of something i i heard recently about well this is actually very this is quite dark so uh it, look if anyone is listening this is involves an act of mass murder, but uh, recently there was a act of, well, it's ostensibly terror, it's terrorism, uh, in Milwaukee, I believe, in America. I don't know if you heard about this. There was a Christmas parade and someone drove a car into that Christmas parade and uh, the last I heard about it, five people um, went dead, 40 people were injured, a lot of them children. Uh, There's... This singing, singing grandmas was a sort of mainstay of this yearly parade, and two oh, of them were so have passed away. And um, this was a person uh, who committed this atrocity. Who just earlier that day had committed a misdemeanor, committed some sort of crime, and had uh, committed a crime quite recently where they had tried to run over the mother of their child, oh. and was offered a bail of only a thousand dollars and what? was out in the community and I um first of all my heart goes out to anyone who has experienced that it's just such a mm. especially at a holiday parade that's something very so dark sad. and sinister about yeah. that it just it just makes me angry really um that people had to endure that but this man was uh, a known criminal he had a long criminal record and many people many many pundits on the on the right are saying uh, this state in America has a very progressive policing policy where they've set bail low for uh, low income offenders uh, they've also said that um, people who maybe do commit uh, smaller ish crimes if you will uh, aren't automatically locked up before their trial uh, there's, there's there are a lot more I guess generous or uh, forgiving with some of the prison conditions in America is very different to Australia. There's a very high incarceration rate there. Mm. A similar thing happened in San Francisco a couple of months ago where uh, a person, as a result of this new progressive district attorney's policies about policing and bail, someone who a couple of years ago would have been incarcerated, uh, was out and committed another crime where they were speeding and, and ran over people and, and unfortunately killed wow. them. And there's now a backlash even from people on the, you know, quote unquote liberal left or whatever you want to call it, who yeah. are saying, no, we, we, we want to, you know, we, our heart bleeds for the racial disparity that is evident in, in, in the criminal justice system. But that does not mean, oh, yes, and this person was, was, black, was a black male. Uh, that does not mean we have... Um, we grant more clemency to people if they're of if they are minorities uh, when dealing with the criminal justice system because acts like this can occur and people mm. can get back out and mm. you know it, it's 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 very dark and it's it's very sad but it it does seem like there are clear parallels here between a you know a, a bit more of a progressive policing system and very very sad um, consequences so. Yeah. Yeah, not to not to wow. make this conversation go down a very dark path there, but I just thought of that. I thought that was relevant, um, and it's it's yeah, a similar sort of tension is. there, weighing up uh, what we can do to to not be as harsh and and I suppose not be as officious in uh, punishing criminals or uh, punishing people who maybe 
have endured much harsher socioeconomic conditions and also uh, intergenerational trauma whilst also still maintaining a, a civil society and having appropriate standards to ensure that uh, education rates or, or just uh, crime rates uh, stay uh, at an appropriate level for a countries that are uh, some of the wealthiest in in the world and mm. it's actually coming to a head now there's uh, a lot of uh, issues in America dealing with things like that and uh, not so much in Australia yet but we tend to follow America um, yeah. so uh, yeah I, I definitely lean when it comes to law and order and these sorts of issues of you know whatever you want to call it meritocracy or whatever I do I do lean right, and, and and there's an emotional side to that. I I uh, grew up in a family that wasn't particularly rich or anything like that, and they were migrants. But there was an ethos of, um, you know, there was a, such a huge significance placed on academic achievement, and uh, there were many sacrifices made. Uh, you know, not going to parties and yeah, having a lack yeah. of a social life, and and also being mm. a person of color. So I don't, I I do have I, I have some sympathy, but I also have a bit of a harsher opinion on on people who are from other minority communities and use that as an excuse for not mm. uh you know maybe getting to a certain point in their education or uh, engaging in criminal activity and it can come across as harsh sometimes but part of it mm. is just because i i do feel like there are certain sacrifices made in in other subcultures and um, that's now also attacked as a sort of problematic worldview. There's this idea of the model minority myth, and I don't really mm. know if it's a myth when there's very clear, quantifiable evidence that shows certain minority groups, uh, when you know, when you measure things like, uh, well, just overall standard of living, but educational attainment and then social mobility, uh, they're able to um, achieve uh, better outcomes in those regards. And I can't help but feel that there are cultural differences that need to be discussed and it's uncomfortable because it's saying that, you know, certain things are on you, certain things are your responsibility. But uh, it's something that I think might actually be lacking in, in today's uh, mm. discourse. But what do, you, what do you think about something like that, about progressive policing policy? And, uh, you know, it's not like I'm a, a robot when it comes to this. I, I hear about the, uh, the uh, abundance of particularly black men in American prison systems and even here in Australia, black and, and Middle Eastern men, hell, I fit the profile. <laughs> I look like someone who should be in, in prison in, in Western Sydney. But um, that that's very sad. My heart bleeds. But at the same time, it's not like they're all innocent. So mm. I don't know how you fix that, how you make a more equitable incarceration rate because – unless you're uh, more lenient with minorities who commit crime but then harsher to white people who commit crime, and that seems, uh, that seems like, very clearly unfair. <laughs> so mm. uh, what do you think about something like that? Weighing up, well, weighing up, I guess, self-esteem and, and, and equity and uh, what's right considering historical injustices but, but what's also right and, and fair and just in today's society. Mm. Well, you know, just as you don't want to be seen as a robot, I don't want to be seen and on the other side where it's like, he murdered someone, but it's trauma. Like, he had a rough childhood. I don't sit fully in that box. Um, and I still stand by that. He, I, I do believe in the consequence of an adult and an action that they've taken, even with children of, of that level of action, you know, murder and assault and theft and things like that. I do believe in consequence of that, for example, incarceration. However, I also believe that the incarceration period needs to be working towards, the focus should be working towards um reintegrating into society and I also feel that I don't know why they don't do this there needs to be like quantitative and qualitative actually studies and or not studies um I guess research done on these participants on are they actually ready to reintegrate into society like I know that in America there's these communities for um men that are have been convicted pedophiles and after they leave jail so after they serve their time they go into this community Louis Thoreau's done a documentary on it. It's amazing. I highly recommend. They go into these communities and the 
that community um, like organization determines when this person can reintegrate back into society. So some have been there for a year, some have been there for 10, 12 years, and they're still like, they're not ready yet. Um, and they have really thorough testing and examination, psychological examinations to, you can't really fool them. You can't be like, hi, hey, no, it's, it's, I don't like children anymore. It's not about that. It's about much more than that. So I feel like that needs to be done um, in, in terms of prisons. Like I, I work with um, a man and he has um, such a incredibly long and dark history of criminal charges since before, happening since before I was born. And he, his last charge was uh, a couple of years ago. And he told me the other day that really basically what happened was he'd go in and out of jail constantly charged with everything you could think of under the sun it was quite dark um but in his last time when he was released he had all these conditions so he needed to get therapy he needed to go to a rehab he needed to do abc and now it's been two years he's been clean the whole time he hasn't done a single criminal act and he said it's because no one gave him the opportunity in all those 30 plus years of him previously doing criminal activity where he'd spend a year or so in jail. No one gave him the opportunity to actually try like better. And he came out sometimes being like, I need to go to rehab. And then the list is 12 months long or he can't afford it. So mm. it wasn't until I guess the, he was forced into the service um, or scheduled that he was able to turn his life around. So, and you watch any kind of prison documentary. <laughs> and I also know, you know, people that work in prisons and, and, and I'm in there quite a bit working with um, parents that are in prison and or jail and there's nothing for them. There's not as much programs as sometimes there are, but it really isn't as much programs that we think there is. So they're like, mm. Oh, I'm, you know, I can be learning a second language or I can be learning this, but really group therapy once a month or something like that, which is optional, isn't going to quite cut it. The other thing that has to be taken into account, which isn't as big in Australia, but is still prevalent, but massive in America is gang activity. So if you go to jail and you you do this whole kind of you know a re rehabilitation program or reintegration to society program, if you're in a gang, all of that is going to get undone as soon as you leave and return to that gang because that's how mm. you maintain your identity. It's how you maintain your safety and security. All these things where. Like they'll do these things to get out, but then once they're back in the gang, you have to stay in the gang to do criminal activity. So yeah. it's it's such a difficult spot to be in. I almost feel like they should treat it like how they treated those convicted pedophiles where you serve some time and then you go into community with more relaxed. Like it's very, it's a nice space. They get like the whole like rooms. They can have all the luxuries like TVs and things like that. Um, but they aren't allowed to leave until they have demonstrated I am absolutely safe to be back in the community, but I'm also not treated like a dog. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, definitely not easy. Uh, there'll always mm. be people that fall under the cracks though. So, yeah. you know, and, and there'd be such a public outcry if um, a pedophile who was seemingly cured was uh, let back out into society and then re-offended. There'd, there'd clearly yeah. be a huge outcry. So I think there's no perfect solution with these and I think we do have to weigh up mm. maybe um, our sense of um, moral duty well, not mm. no, because there's a, there's you can make a moral argument either way, a, a, a moral argument for individual justice and a moral argument for healing uh, as many people in society as as possible. So, I guess you just have to weigh up those two things and and ask what do we prioritize more? Do we prioritize uh, uh, the the safety and the sense of justice for individuals? Or do we prioritize uh, creating a more equitable society? And mm. it's not as easy as left or right on something like this mm. because I do take a bit of a harder cultural stance and I don't think, you know, mm. sure, we, we have to humanize people and we have to understand how people could get to a point where they're engaging in criminal activity. And it, it, it's not really that hard. It's There's no other... Um, outlet for them it's they get a sense of purpose of camaraderie of brotherhood of meaning mm. uh somewhere where they could feel treated like a king and then there's a hierarchy they can climb and they can get a lot of money <laughs> selling drugs you yeah. can, can become very exactly. rich doing that 
so it, it, it's pretty, it's either that or working at Macca's. I mean, it's not necessarily mm. a hard choice. So uh, what can we do uh, to yeah. uh, improve the conditions? But some people focus purely on the economic side and some people focus purely on the cultural side. So mm. you can throw as much money as you want um, at inequality and uh, e crime, but you also need to look at the culture and, and mm. where does that culture come from? How do we actually fix it? Does it need to be fixed or does it just need to be redirected? Because these are usually young men with a lot of testosterone and energy and it's not as easy to, to just say, oh, just sit down, sit still and study feminism yeah. at uni or something. Like, not gonna, <laughs> you know, it's not going to appeal yeah. to them. So uh, yeah. maybe something like the army or, you know, a more uh, traditional masculine approach to uh, putting these young men on a different path would, would be appropriate. I don't know. I'm totally speculating mm. here. But then at the same time, you can't completely avoid the economic argument. You can't be... Uh, oh, let's privatize prisons and let's uh, let's mm. uh, just well, what's the point of giving money to these communities and building facilities when they just trash it and still join mm. gangs anyway? I think um, there, yeah. maybe there is a moral duty to at least try, and uh, but then learn from what maybe doesn't work and what does work, and sometimes yeah. what does work doesn't fit your ideological paradigm. And you have to be willing to adjust. And I think that's actually the mark of an honest person. An honest yeah. actor is someone who can say, oh, I usually agree with the progressive ethos, but I can see the statistics here that are showing that, one, this, uh, this particular uh, method of policing or law, uh, law and order is actively harming communities of colour or minority communities, so I'm willing to adjust. I'm willing to change my approach to maybe something that initially makes me uncomfortable but could be a conservative approach and vice versa if uh, more funding to certain programs and maybe a policy like you were uh, describing before uh, that's more uh, communal and, and, and compassionate mm. and merciful if that works then you have mm. to be willing to adjust and, and, and change your point of view and say well if, if what matters to me is what's not what feels good, but what is efficacious. And so I, I made that distinction at the start where I don't, I don't know if this new teaching policy will work. I just said my initial emotional reaction to it is that oh, I don't like it. But if it works, I'll mm. change my mind. And yeah. uh, a lot of these are head versus heart uh, issues, yes. right? Yeah. You know, our heart says one thing and, mm. you know, my heart really bleeds for young young people, mm. young women, young men who grow up in um, very harsh socioeconomic circumstances and feel like the world is against them and feel like people are judging them and uh, feel like their only option is to join a gang and to, you know, do drugs. And look, there's just as much drug taking that occurs in the top end of town at any... Yeah. any um, you know, like end of year, you know, yeah, marketing <laughs> Christmas party. There'll be cocaine everywhere. So, Christmas, you know, it's yeah. not, <laughs> let's, let's not act like drugs is True. just uh, happening in poor areas, right? Yeah. Um, drugs occurs in, 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 in harsher mm. environments to escape and drugs occur in more prosperous environments to, you know, to revel in their success and to enjoy themselves. So, mm. um, and, you know, I'm not sitting here like I'm a saint. I've taken drugs and things. And, and look, sometimes they're fun. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, act like I'm in a glass house or whatever. So um, yeah. we, we need to uh, engage with people's humanity and understand how they got to a certain point and not just categorize them as evil or predators. But we also need to impose restrictions and, and mm. boundaries and uh, what may sound and feel good uh, as a policing policy may not actually be what helps the people that you are actually trying to help. Um, there was an mm. interesting study that came out uh, after a lot of the George Floyd protests where they found a lot of uh, white middle-class uh, supporters of Black Lives Matter when they were asked, do you think the black community wants less police, fewer police? They all said yes. But if you actually ask the black community, it's not that they want fewer police. They want police to be held accountable 
Wow. When yeah. they screw up and they want police that don't How treat them differently because yeah. they're black, but they actually want the same, sometimes yeah. even more police because there's so much crime in those neighbourhoods. And saying wow. things like defund the police and all cops are bastards, usually these things are said by people who are living very comfortable lives, who have never yeah. grown up in communities that have been uh, just destroyed by yeah. crime. They don't know what they're talking about, okay? I yeah. am a person of colour and I grew up in a, a community that you know, it wasn't even particularly bad or anything like that, but our house was robbed. My dad was assaulted once or twice and oh. guess who helped us? Yeah. The police. So, you know, when I get lectured by usually rich white people telling me how the cops are bad and the cops are racist, they're actually denying my lived experience. So if I want to turn the argument against them. So um, the people that these sorts of policies hurt the most are law-abiding citizens who uh, exist in some of these really harsh communities. So this is not a simple issue. And and already in America, crime has risen dramatically after a lot of the uh, protests last year. Yeah. And, you know, that could definitely be because of the pandemic and the, uh, the unemployment rate that has uh, proceeded. And then there's been a – there was an embargo on rent payments that ended recently or something, mm. something like that. There's a lot of other conditions that could definitely have contributed to it. But there are also police now just don't want to go into black neighbourhoods because mm. they, they're just so uh, – they know that there's the spotlight is on them. And you're dealing with really intense circumstances here where you have to make a life or death decision in within a millisecond. And in America, everyone has a gun. So mm. are you willing to take that chance if you are a police officer? If someone is being erratic and aggressive and maybe puts their hand into their, um, into their pockets... What are you going to – are you, you going to risk your life in order to be politically correct? Of course not. So it actually makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. They're no longer now policing these sorts of communities. And it's – this is not an – this is just not a simple issue. And um, I know, you know, this may be tangential to what we were talking about initially. It's not even what we usually talk about on this podcast. But um, it is a very relevant conversation about mm. weighing up the the – the costs and the benefits to progressive, compassionate policies in regards to education, policing, law and order, uh, mm. the legal system. And, yeah, it, it's, it is complicated. And I just wish more people would, would – I'm not saying I'm right or people have to take a turn to the, to the right wing, but that, that voice and that narrative should be articulated and not be immediately shut down as racist because – yeah. Sometimes uh, tougher policing can actually help because uh, we only hear about the um, innocent uh, people of color that were convicted, and that's terrible. That's sad. They they deserve so much justice. But if the overall crime rate does go down in a otherwise very impoverished community, how has that then helped everyone else in that community? This this isn't mm-hmm. simple. That's the point. I'm not saying yeah. it needs to be one way or the other. I'm not saying go to like the broken windows policy of New York in the, you know, latter half of the 20th century. But I am saying just having a tough on crime stance isn't, isn't always mm. a, you know, a racist, prejudicial, elitist stance to have. Yeah. yeah, it's a very, really good point that you said, especially about how, like, you know, these rich white men saying, here's what we have to do. Um, but they aren't the ones that have that lived experience or actually know what they're talking about. And then it instantly rang kind of bells in my head where, you know, I have to acknowledge me saying like, oh, these therapeutic programs, like this is coming from the perspective of a 27-year-old privileged white, you know, work with therapy in therapeutic settings um, female where I try to always appeal to the heart to make change and things like that. That's always going to be my my bias. And then I know that, you know, if I said that to someone in jail, they would probably likely say to me, I can't just go fuck you can't just go and do these programs all the time like it's jail is about survival like people are going to bully like not bully it's worse than bully people are going to harm you mm. if you engage in these things people are going to harm you if you talk to um prison guards and build a relationship with them and say like I want to do this program and things like that it's about you have to maintain especially in in men's jails a facade or belief that, you know, I'm strong and I can hold my own, don't fuck with me. And often Definitely. those men 
aren't going to be the ones that are doing all the therapeutic work and sitting in the group therapy. Like they would be more likely be a target than, um, than an influence on that. But, you know, that being said, when I thought, when you said, should they be going to the army? Like the, uh, the, the interesting thing about the army and why it can be effective for these men that are like, you know, violent is that the basis of kind of re rewiring challenging behaviors in children is the first thing is setting up an extremely rigid routine. And that's exactly mm. what the military puts in place. However, that being said, military and men, every guy I've ever met from the military. <laughs> yeah, everyone says that. Let me tell you. So, the Navy, they're all right. Like, oh, really? Men in the Army, they're, yeah, they've been nice. Well, army men. Really? Why do you think that not, is? I, I don't know. I, I, I found that men in the Navy, they were always kind of like easy go lucky, humorous, mm. very fit and like, but that was just my experience. That's like literally four, I know. Yeah. There was one time though that um, there was a bunch of, I don't know what it was for, but American military men had come to Australia for a period. It may have even been for the bushfire. I don't know what it was for, but no, it wasn't the bushfire. I don't know. It was something. But I matched with like three of them on Tinder a couple of years ago. Yeah. And they were so aggressive and violent. And I was like, is this Americans or is this military men? Anyway, since after then, I determined it's both. Violent? Um, like, what do you. So did you go on dates like, with them or what? No, just in the way that they were so like, here's. We're meeting tomorrow, no negotiations, <laughs> like blah, blah, blah. And I thought it was humorous. I was like, oh, he's just trying to be in charge. And I was like, I can't, I've got an exam. And then they'd be like, I don't want like, I don't want a bitch who can't fucking prioritize. Like this full like twist like that. And I was like, okay, mate. Um, and just really like incredibly weird egos and then t everything they said was violent in nature like i'll fucking well, slice this piece of shit <laughs> up if he ever touched God. you like this weird stuff and i was like is this supposed to impress me because it's really having the opposite effect but then you know it's kind of like that men that are inclined towards violent tendencies are attracted to that because it's a really yeah. like safe outlet for it but when I think of men that have abused, for example, women, I would not say send them to the military. I would, they would just go into other countries mm. and sexually assault women, which happens all the time. Yeah. But programs like Men Taking Responsibility or DV programs are incredibly effective. And the way those programs work, it's, they, the, the, the aim is to, of course, have the man take responsibility and accountability. Um, so they're not kind of going around it in like a, don't worry, it wasn't your fault. But they also take a very like intentionally empathetic response to say, like, this is this is who you are as a person and this isn't serving you and this is not going to be good for you, the community, your loved ones, your children. Like, this is what needs to change. Here is the psychology behind it. Um, you have a very short threshold for, you know, maintaining a baseline. Here's your window of tolerance. You're very quick to get out of it. Here's how you get back into it. This is what happens when you feel aggressive. So I, that's why I feel like that psychological intervention would be so beneficial if, if people in jail knew I am this way because this happened, there, there are actually ways that I can resolve this and fix this. I'm not stuck like this forever. Um, here's a new method I can use instead. But then there's also, you know, like I mentioned the gangs, but the equivalent of that in Australia is I, I worked with um, a man in jail recently again who he was cleared to leave jail. But he was there for months afterwards because he had a, a, like a 10, 12 year jail sentence. He couldn't identify someone or somewhere that he could stay with. And there was no availability in halfway houses. So they were like, when you can nominate a person and an address, then you can leave. Oh, and that's, that's he sad, couldn't. Yeah. And he was trying really hard because he was um, a heroin addict. Yeah. He was trying really hard to find anyone. He was reaching out to like me. I supported his child and he was like, can, is there anything? And I was like, I can't help you. Like, I wish I could, but I can't in this circumstance. Like I was tempted to be like, stay with me, but that's, um, boundary crossing in my yeah. industry. Um, but he ended up having to go back to, um, staying with someone that used to deal in the drugs because he had no one else and he'd ruin his relationship with all his um, family. And this man in jail got clean like surprisingly, which is hard in jail. Mm. And he called his children 
every single day of the week, seven days a week. He called like all three of them constantly. He made such an effort. And then as soon as he was released and he had all these like plans, he was released. He saw him for a few times. It was all like amazing. And then within a week, he was an addict again, um, which was so sad. And now he doesn't speak to the kids. Like it's just, and if he had been, if we could have provided or someone could have provided something that's more stable in a halfway house or you know, just not straight into the depths of here are all the things that jail has prevented you from seeing and all your triggers for your addiction. And now we're going to put you with a person that gave you this addiction in the first place. Like, it's so sad. Mm, nah, that, Happens all the time as that's, well. That's heartbreaking. That's, um, yeah, look. And it'd be the same for gangs. Yeah. Yeah, it would be if you've, if you've got a sense of community there. Yeah. Um, why wouldn't you gravitate towards that mm. and similarly with uh, uh with uh you know friend groups or 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 groups that are engaged in in drug taking and serious drug taking I'm not talking about smoking yeah. a joint once a week or whatever <laughs> um there's also for, for a friend of mine this is purely just an account from a, a friend of mine um there's this sense of in the same way if you leave a church or any sort of cultural group there's a there's a lot of guilt and and the other people get this almost tall poppy syndrome so oh you think you're better than us come on you're not better you think you think you're too good for this uh i've heard that people who try and uh you know better themselves in 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 social groups that are um into drugs they deal with that same sort of attitude oh you think you're so good because you're not doing the heroin with us you're you know we don't mm. like you anymore and so then you get social mm-hmm. ostracization as well and and uh, as we talk about on this podcast that's one of the most yeah. harmful things to any human being to be um banished to feel socially ostracized to be cancelled so uh, that you're really yeah. um pushing a boulder up a hill there uh exactly if you're gonna that's s- human nature you gotta just to maintain your tribe exactly and you'll or engage in, in and you'll engage in rationalizing whatever behavior you think is necessary to yes. to, to keep that social group so it's mm. definitely not easy uh it, it it's it really isn't um mm. that story is just that's devastating hearing that someone yeah. who would have i can only assume worked so incredibly hard to to beat their mm. addiction and then um their only um, option of – so the only way they can leave jail is to have someone and, oh, my God, no one's there. And then, I mean, how sad would that be for that person as well? They've, they've done the yeah. work. They've beaten yeah. – they did it. They accomplished the <laughs> what they needed to do. But yeah. for a lot of friends and families, if, um, again, this is just from some personal testimony here. I'm not, I can't speak to the broad experience, but uh, friends and family members who have uh, – dealing with people who are addicts when they get clean sometimes the addicts expect the friends and families to just come running back yes, and accept them back yeah. into their life and you know you may have been an addict for years and and done irreparable damage to mm-hmm. your family members and your friends and you know they're not just gonna forgive you and mm-hmm. take you back immediately um that is even if you do beat that addiction the you may be paying the social consequences of that for a very long time. And exactly, it's not easy to forgive. Uh, it's not easy to forgive someone who might've been a parent or a friend who was an addict and hurt you in, in countless ways. And then even if they do get clean and even if they've been clean for a year or two, why do you suddenly owe them a forgiveness and an apology yeah. and not, well, not an apology, but you, uh, you know they've they've earned just a clear path back into your life it's it's asking a lot for those people mm. you're basically back addicts, at square one now you're not you're not yes. you haven't really mm. you've yes you've conquered that addiction but now you're back at square one and 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 you've still uh you, you have to atone for what you did when you were an addict and it, it's it, it's yeah. not easy from the perspective of the friends and families of mm. people who are criminals or addicts or you know whatever harmful behavior they may be engaging in because uh i yeah i have a i have a friend who has a close family member who was dealing with uh, a type of addiction it, it wasn't actually drug addiction there but they have gotten clean they've they've made amends well they've they've taken steps to beat that but then they're 
now they feel animosity that they're not being accepted back into this person's life. And that person yeah. is saying, well, look, you, you can't just suddenly be clean and yeah. now I'm supposed to just forgive you. That's not, that's not yeah. how life works. <laughs> so Because they often want to absolve themselves of any guilt that they're carrying. And secondly, it's also part of that, the rehabilitation program, any rehabilitation program, like, smashes into your head like it's all about connection forgiveness and reintegration and I know that a lot of rehabs like the fancy rehabs where you pay to attend they won't let you enroll or or sign up to join their join their rehab um attend or become a participant unless you have and can demonstrate a support system because as soon as they're clean it's almost natural instinct to be like I need something now to fill this void. And what fills it more than love and connection? Drugs. So mm. <laughs> so it's kind Damn. of like they need something. They need something they can hold, hold on to, work towards. And often that is I need to reconnect with my family. Like now I can see this damage or I feel so guilty and I want to like, you know, get that off my chest. But these people are like, you stole from me. You're in my house. You did yeah. this. Our relationships, like it's it's much harder than that, especially because when people are so within the grips of um, a drug addiction, they do really selfish things oh, yeah. because th- that addiction com- becomes first priority and it's a disease. Like mm-hmm. I, I hold a lot of compassion for addicts because it is it is the hardest disease to overcome as the di- addiction. Like it's way – people like, just don't do it. It's not as simple as that. Mm-hmm. It's to them. It's survival. I either have this or it's I cannot bear mm-hmm. the consequence of not – of living without it. So – yeah. It's really um, sad on both sides. Like you feel compassionate from both for both sides. In fact, you probably feel more compassionate for the friends and family of addicts. But I know that people are taking a lot more, becoming a lot more understanding of how addiction works and it's not choice. Like I know that when I was 18 and I was studying and I was like, I don't want to work with um, addicts because I thought that that would be too frustrating because they constantly put themselves back in the same um you know, cycle. And it really wasn't until I worked in a rehab, um, a women's rehab that I just saw how painful it was and how much these women despise themselves for falling back into the grips of addiction over and over and over again. And then all their friends and family, they go out saying I'm clean. And then two months later they're back. And then, you know, it takes many cycles often to become clean completely. Yeah. And then, you know, you sometimes require so much forgiveness because you, you, it, there's so many uh, instances like that where, yeah, they're clean now and you have this hope and, yeah. then, and then they're not and, and you just get fed up and, and tired yeah. and, and you, don't, you don't even want to listen to them saying that they're clean anymore because you just assume, no, you're going to let me down again. You're going to disappoint yeah. me. So, yeah, oh, yeah, all of this is not easy. All of this is really uh, dark but important to uh, talk about. Um, mm. I don't. I don't know what more. I think. I think I've said what I wanted to say on on these broad issues here. I've said what I wanted to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, good. <laughs> um, that was a really good. Uh, you, do you want to say? Yeah, not like our usual, but yeah, definitely. That different. was a little that bit was, spontaneous. That was. Um, so I like that. No one come at, hopefully, no one comes at us again for not having like studies. We didn't plan this. Yes. Yes. No. This was very uh, extemporaneous. Yes, yes, no. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, nah. Nah, yeah, nah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 nah. I saw a very funny TikTok. Well, let's end on a light note. I saw a very funny TikTok <laughs> trying to like, for for someone trying to understand English where like if you if you have, yes, it means yes, no, it means no, but then yeah, nah, it means no. And, no. Then, and then, but then it kept going and it was like, yes. Yes, no, yes. Yeah, and no, what does that yeah. actually mean? And then, and then, and then, and then <laughs> it'd be so complicated for someone so who uh, wasn't aware of the the context and 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 the way people just you know position those words and how they say them. It'd just be <laughs> monumentally confused. English is a weird language. It's it's just it's not English. It's Australian. I true, swear. Like, true. But a, this was I an American like a, one. I, it shocked oh, me because really? it was they weren't saying yeah, nah. They were saying. Yes, 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 no. Or the, uh, oh, I don't know if it was okay. America. It was not Australian. I really, I, 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 I thought it would definitely be Aussie, but it wasn't, to my surprise. So, 
Um, I feel like Australians use yeah and nah often in conjunction or in replacement of saying um. So they'd be like, nah, well, it's pretty good today. Like just True. instead of saying um, it's interesting. Anyway, True. let's not unpack this too much. Well, Australians are not very precise with their language. They they want to give oh, off no. this attitude of being casual. And so rather than just saying a firm yes, they'll be like, oh, no, nah, yeah. Yeah. So they want, <laughs> you know, yeah. Just like, saying yeah, yes mostly is yes. too abrupt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still think abrupt. my mum's angry at me all the time when she just texts me yes, full stop. And I'm like, what's wrong? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without any emojis or anything. Yeah. Like, I, I still get that, but. Me and um, Adrian always really struggle with her texting because she'll be like, call me immediately or as soon as you can. And we're like, fuck, what, what have we done? What, what's gone down? And then she'll be like, my friend Susie, oh, her no. flower isn't, well, well, should, where should she plant this? And Adrian's like, don't fucking panic me, mom. I'm like, Tanya. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Oh, that's cute. Cute. Very cute. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening to that one ladies and gentlemen let us know if you like that different style i think i think we definitely can talk about topics that aren't just dating and relationship related because we'd still have i guess different perspectives coming at that so which we did yeah, yeah that was that was that one was i think that was one of our i really liked that one i enjoyed it i think we had some <laughs> different perspectives there we didn't sort of butt heads and and get into an argument yeah. but there were points of disagreement and it was did. very civil and i i liked that a lot so uh, thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. See me in Melbourne, uh, December 5th. First time I'm doing a show in Melbourne in nearly three yeah. years. Might be sold out by the time this podcast gets out. So get in there nice and quick. And then um, every week As in Sydney. Usual. What? Did, did you make Getting a sex joke? Nice yeah, got to yeah. end on a sex joke, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. See you next week.